passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. John Pollock and Waiting here with you on a Wednesday evening. You can hear me. Can you see me? Hi, Way. I can hear and I can see you, but I, I realized that was the exact same thing I said last time. So let's let's not even bother to uh, hope it goes well. Hope it goes well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you, John? Uh, lots going on. Yes, it is another uh, another Wednesday night here. I never get used to this. I know that this is our recurring bit about how long Raw is and how busy, especially the 10 minutes before we go live for these Wednesday night shows. It's always just. It's always a rush. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's very, it's, it just, it really upsets my Zen. Remember when we used to do these like 15 minutes after? Oh my God. We were, we were, we had it so good. We just like, <laughs> remember when we weren't doing these live? Remember when we weren't doing these on video? You know, we just kind of like, you know, uh, like enjoyed our, our time. There was a time we used to do our review shows the next morning. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> uh, back okay. when we had lives, back when we had, uh, <laughs> could watch at our leisure. You could uh, pop on Raw on a Tuesday morning and have it I, done. In the future, I, I sense us doing the review before even actually watching the show. I think that's how fast we're going to get. We'll, we'll go team. live at uh, 9.30 p.m. as the, the final matches are going on. Yeah. Well, uh, we have news to get into, but it's the first of the month. So everyone sit back because... It's a big month at the Post Wrestling Cafe as we inch towards WrestleMania. Want to go over some of the highlights. First of all, for this week, uh, we put up what I'm going to call the pick me up episode this week. I know many people. I know, I know I hit it so well on Monday. I'm going to reveal I was a little frustrated on Monday, but Tuesday, waiting came over. And if there's any benefit to technological errors, it's getting to see waiting in person as he made his way down to this dungeon and we did 90 minutes of ask away and i really enjoyed this episode i don't i don't always just uh point out hey this episode was great and this episode was great this was this was the certified seal of approval from john pollock i enjoyed this very much some great wide ranging questions the only podcast dare i say that can cover bobby hull saudi arabia and soda pop seamlessly (laughs) 
That is it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, it's the, it's our monthly Q and A. and maybe it's cause it's been two months since we've done our, our last one, John. So maybe this, that's why this one felt so special. You had a lot of great questions, everybody. So, um, anybody who signs up to postwrestlingcafe.com has access, access to that uh, as well. Po- uh, video.postwrestling.com uh, or if you're an, uh, exclusive Apple podcast listener and you subscribe to us through that, then you have access to that as well. Of course, every Friday night, we are live for Cafe members with Rewind to SmackDown, and we will have multiple editions of Rewind Away this month. The next one is coming out next week with two episodes of Monday Night Raw from February of 1993, a big angle to set up one of the key matches at WrestleMania 9. We're also going to be doing a UK Rampage that WWF put out in the early 90s. That's coming up later this month, and as well, some, uh, some New Japan reviews on the Cafe and we are going to be traveling to Montreal this month. So whenever we travel, the cameras are rolling, or I should say my phone is rolling. So we will have plenty of uh, extra content this month. Postwrestlingcafe.com. And of course, $6 gets you in the door and access to all of our bonus shows, our archives going back five years. I mean, way you could just, you could just plop in there and you could spend an eternity just uh, living vicariously through our lives. If you wanted to, yeah. It's an option. I'm just, I'm putting it out there. Yes. All right. Let us move on. Um, also this week as well, I will be back with Brandon Thurston on Friday. We're going to go through the WWE financials and Thursday's, uh, investors call. I was all ready for Thursday when they had announced it would be out Thursday morning, 8 a.m. I'm like, perfect. No problem. And then they move it to Thursday night. It's like, thank you. Thank you for just, uh, ruining my day. So there you have it. That's coming up Thursday night, but I'll be live with Brandon. We're going to go live Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern on the YouTube channel. So tune into that and uh, we will see. Always, always news coming out of these investors calls. And uh, we say it every time that that is um, there will be great intrigue as there is pretty much every quarter for these calls. What is said? What is not said? And then me and Brandon try to translate what exactly they meant or we're trying to hide. So we will we will decode it all. That's the fun part of these way. This will be a really interesting one. A lot has happened since the last one. A couple things. A yeah. couple things over mm-hmm. the last quarter. All right. Let's move on to the news. And I would say one of the most newsworthy figures of the last 24 hours or so is Kota Abushi, who we were discussing on Ask Away. He has his contract has ended with New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is free. New Japan put out a pretty basic statement stating with the conclusion of his contract period, on January 31st, 2023, Kota Ibushi has departed New Japan Pro Wrestling. Ibushi had been recovering from injury since October 2021. We apologize to Ibushi's fans for the abrupt announcement and join them in wishing Ibushi the very best in all his future endeavors. So Ibushi is now a free agent, and he has already been announced for the collective, for the WrestleMania weekend. He has been announced to take on Speedball Mike Bailey, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport 9. And then the next day, he will be part of Spring Break. Uh, no announcement yet for his opponent at Spring Break. Um, but that card, God knows on. what it will be. At Spring Break, like the, the options are limitless. You know, um, at the top of my list has to be a match with the Invisible Man. It, we need to see it. Um, it could it's a dream well, match. Very well happen. They're also going to be doing a speedball against uh, Il Del Vikingo at Spring Break. And um, as I mentioned on Ask Away, I was going to check up on this, and this is how it's been promoted, and it was confirmed to me uh, by Fight TV. 
that all 11 shows, part of the collective, which includes Spring Break and Bloodsport, come with your Fight Plus subscription, which is, if you've been watching shows, it's five bucks for everything that weekend of those 11 collective events. I mean, that is, obviously, they are using this weekend as one to just boost up their subscription numbers, which I don't know how you can, um, even if you're going to watch one show, you're getting beyond your value for five bucks compared to what you were paying in years past. It says there's a seven day trial. Is, does that include this weekend as well? I don't know. I would think that they would, uh, prohibit you from being able to use a trial for that particular period. Um, uh, but I don't know the answer to that. I doubt uh, that they could. How could they? How well, I mean, that it? was. That was the same deal with um with, with, with WrestleMania as well. And how did how did that work? Where where they had the uh, I don't know if they did. I don't know if it it, it, it was prohibited. Well, something to uh to definitely look into. But regardless, it, 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 I mean, even, if you're if you're getting bucks. for five bucks, it's uh you're more yeah. than getting your your value out that's, of uh, that's the, very this interesting. Collective. And and you know what? Uh, really good for the collective to potentially have far far more eyeballs on them than than ever before. This will probably be the most watched um, events that they have ever put on, just given that that lower price point and the amount of people. Like, if anyone has been on the fence about Fight Plus, this is the weekend people are going to jump on. The key will be keeping them as well, but that is always going to be the case with these. So, anyway, we're at WrestleMania weekend already taking shape. What are just some of your overall thoughts on Kota Ibushi? He is 40 years old now. This will be his first match, at least uh, unless he wrestles before WrestleMania weekend, which he very well could. There's nothing preventing him from doing so, but has not wrestled since October of last year. And what are you looking out of Kota Ibushi? And it, it seems like he's not in any rush to sign anywhere. It looks like he wants to be a freelancer and do cool stuff. Well, number one for me, you know, is, is to see the status of a Kota Ibushi now, you know, um, over a year since the last time we saw him from what sounds like a pretty bad shoulder injury. You know, what does, how does he look the same? And, um, does, does he, can he wrestle the same? Now, I don't know if a blood sport match, you know, even if it's against Speedball Mike Bailey, I don't know if that's necessarily, um, the, the full Kota Ibushi experience in terms of, like, you know, the, what we're used to with the high flying and whatnot, but you can guarantee, I'm sure there will be some kicks and some work, you know, attached to that shoulder. So I'm, I, I'm just kind of curious to see him work a different style. Like he's one of the most creative, adventurous professional wrestlers that I think has, uh, is, is currently on the scene. And, um, it was wonderful to see him on a big stage in New Japan, but um I think, you know, if you've seen a bit of this guy's DDT career, you know that he's probably uh, far more um, interested in things outside of, you know, what, what, what might be, you know, a wonderful box that New Japan offers, but I'm very curious to see, especially with him attached to something like a GCW, uh, any, any indies, you know, that are currently out there, any promotion that's out there. I'm really curious to see creatively what he does. Obviously, there are going to be those questions about, um, where he ultimately lands full time. Um, you know, AEW obviously is going to be the biggest topic. I think WWE shouldn't be, you know, ruled out, at least, you know, as part of the conversation. I, I guess you can you can throw that one out there. If if you look at the AEW option, do you think that if he has a resistance to signing any kind of deal, I mean, it doesn't it to me. Tony Khan would seem open to doing a one off if you have, you know, I'm sure there's no shortage of great ideas of what you can do with Kota Bushi, but do, do you want that commitment with a Kota Bushi to do something more long term and know that this guy 
is not going to go somewhere else. I think there's still a lot of value to have him on for those one-offs, you know, to promote a big pay-per-view match or to promote a big Golden Lovers reunion or to promote a big Kenny Omega versus Kota Ibushi match. You know, having him around here for one month, you can do plenty of storytelling and make a whole lot of money for everybody involved. Um, I would actually more expect that than, you know, him signing full-time to AEW. I don't expect him to move back or to move to America uh, whatsoever. Um, I mean, anything can happen, of course, but um, I see excursions with maybe like a, you know, he's talked about wanting this school that he wants to start up in Japan. I, I see him keeping Japan as a home base, but, you know, making the occasional yearly excursion to other parts of the world. What if he just put up a security camera of him running his classes and you were offered a subscription to just watch the classes in, in progress without understanding the language. Yeah. The answer would be absolutely. Yes. Yes. I just, I mean, you know, anything involving this guy, um, Nick Khan traveling to Japan to try and recruit this guy. I mean, that's like, that's like a, that's a movie. I mean, I only bring up the WWE aspect because, um, you know, we all remember the CWC and they really wanted him. And who put, put the, the CWC together? It was Triple H, right? So, I mean, he was um, giving a lot of false signals, like high-fiving Vince McMahon backstage. They probably thought, <laughs> it's like, oh, we got this guy. <laughs> yes, yes. I can at least see them making a play, you know, and, and, and rolling out the red carpet for him in terms of reduced schedule, you know. Um, I, I could see him, you know, at least uh, being given a pretty nice offer. Is Is that... Is that Kyle, Kyle Phoenix? <laughs> Kyle Phoenix. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're moving on. Maybe we will see a uh, Kota Bushi pop up at one of these uh, AEW live events because AEW has now rolled out their plan for non-televised house shows, essentially. AEW house rules that they are promoting as intimate weekend events to kick off uh, March 18th, they're going to do a show in Troy, Ohio. And this has been talked about for a while. This is kind of being spearheaded by uh, Jeff Jarrett, Raphael Morphy. They're kind of the two of the key guys involved in the uh, the live events department. But from the press release, Tony Khan today announced the launch of AEW House Rules, a live event series taking place on select weekends in markets across the country. Uh, it goes on to say that these non-televised live events will showcase an electrifying mix of matchups, featuring the stars of AEW. Each event offers an even more immersive experience for fans, including customized merchandise, unique ways to engage with featured talent, and in-show interactions different from what is featured on televised AEW programming. The first House Rules show will take place Saturday, March 18th in Troy, Ohio, at the Hobart Arena, and will feature Ohio's own John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, Dr. Britt Baker, Darby Allin, Orange Cassidy, and many more with tickets on sale this Friday. So, we actually did talk about this as well on Ask Away of sort of a live event strategy. So very much um, us kind of setting the table for the news this week. Yeah. But uh, for those that didn't hear our show, like we went over the positives and negatives of running live events in this current environment of professional wrestling where live events are not this gigantic profitable sector that you would be looking at in terms of just revenue. And I would think that this is one where – you're looking for value beyond just profits and losses on individual markets that you can run to. Some of those positives being, number one, you're going to be able to go to smaller markets that you're not going to be bringing your big dynamites or even rampages to. Uh, Troy, Ohio, probably being a good example of that. It is lower costs. It's also 
experience for talent. Like we were specifically noting a Jade Cargill of you know, that progression of, yes, you get one or two TV matches mixed in with some dark elevation squashes, but with a, a regular rotation of house shows, even if you're adding, say, four matches a month, it's it's something for this this gigantic talent roster that can be out there and pairing your veterans with some of your inexperienced talent, the talent that's not getting on TV, this gives them more of an outlet. And you're looking for, I think, beyond just the idea of are these going to make money or not? Because I would say if these are profitable, it's going to be minimal, even for something at the scale of AEW. Um, but yeah, that that's sort of my thinking towards these and sort of, I would imagine like this Hobart arena, like this is kind of the scope of what we're looking at and putting, you know, one to two, I would say a couple major stars on top of these. It's not going to be your whole roster, but it is enough that hopefully draws in in markets that are less served than some of your TV markets. The Hobart arena seems to, uh, at least uh, according to Wikipedia, has a capacity of 3,782. Um now, I mean, they don't obviously don't have to, you know, do do that much, but you know, simply being able to serve a territory that is underserved, um, I think it's at least worth trying. You know, these tickets appear to be twenty dollars. They start from twenty dollars uh, plus fees, so you know, it seems like they're very affordable. Obviously, there, as you mentioned, John, there's a lot of uh, value that um, you know is outside of the the financial aspect of it. But I also can't imagine Tony Khan entering, you know, um any sort of business deal without it being a profitable one. I mean, I'm I'm certain that's the goal and you know, you keep costs low. I think like customized merchandise, that's something that I think all sports have had a lot of success with and WWE, that's a big thing on these pay-per-views as well and even live events is sort of getting away from just um you know, uniform merchandise that we bring to all the cities and making it more you know, you're, you're looking for ways that you can keep costs down and try and you know, maximize those numbers that are coming that are going to spend money on your product and exposing your product to people that are not getting out to AEW shows in bigger markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, you have a lot of your talent going out to, and working other promotions led by a guy like a John Moxley that, um, you know, they, they, that, that are pro- probably quite profitable in their local market. So why wouldn't AEW with their name brand and, uh, you know, like the stars that they have attached to their roster try to make a go of it themselves? It makes all the sense in the world. I, I guess I'm just curious about maybe some of the specifics in financials, especially knowing, um, you know, WWE's, um, like what are WWE's current sort of a house show? Mm financials like i mean they're 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 at a point where especially before the pandemic you had several of those quarters that the live event section was actually losing money i they are not at that level anymore but it's you know it's still a gigantic difference of what they do at live events versus like television like just uh looking at uh this month like a couple weekends ago they were in like small markets like Erie Pennsylvania and Binghamton New York they did like 3300 and 2500 um that's on the lower end but you're typically looking at i would say anything in some of these like medium to small markets if you're you're, you're in the 3 to 3000 to you know 4200 range is typical unless you're you know something really big like your post-christmas live events and big markets and such like that but it is at least not at the lower level they've also cut back on a lot of their live events and by cutting back they've eliminated a lot of the smaller drawing markets as well so they're not running (laughs) where they were you know and they had 
started to cut back on that even before the pandemic. Something uh, interesting to maybe make note of, um, and thank you to John Cena for pointing this out, is that OTT has uh, actually announced Moxley as part of the show with uh, Scrapper on Scrapper Mania on March 18th, uh, the same day as this supposed Troy show. Now they are in different time zones, but it's quite the distance, you know, for Moxley to. Oh, he's he's not going to be in Ireland um, for this show and making it to Ohio, so this might be Scrapped Mania for John Moxley. Uh, mm-hmm. where he's supposed to be doing back-to-back shows. Like the Friday is not a big issue, but um, yeah, I would assume that this is um, the AEW show is going to take precedence with him being the poster child. Yeah. I would probably say so much in Ohio. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know how you get to that point where this is being advertised and you're putting this press release out and um, now he's advertised for somewhere else. So I'm mm-hmm. sure we will have an update on that fairly soon. So there you have it. That is uh, AEW House Rules. Would you go to one of these, Way, if it was near you? I'm very curious. I actually think I would. You know, like even knowing from WWE House Rules, the atmosphere tends to be uh, at least fantastic here where where we are. And I imagine for AEW, that will probably be the case um, in several places. And uh, I'm curious to know if these house shows play a bigger role into the storylines knowing how much AEW, you know pay, uh, might integrate um, stories from other promotions sometimes into their own tv content i have to imagine at the beginning shows. i definitely would like yeah. i the last thing i would do is the mistakes wwe made where house shows don't matter especially mm-hmm. for the first few i would be doing whether it's just a promo to set up a match on dynamite or an angle and you show it on television i would be doing that for the first couple of months like every now and then doing something where the house show matters and it's showing on television and that's 20 to 30 seconds of dedicated television time that tells you that these shows the cameras are rolling and you never know when something's going to happen when there's buzz coming out of a show and man the uh john moxley and darby had this killer match and they put it up on youtube like there's ways that you can do that like wwe never does that with with house shows or anything like they are just an island and they always have been generally so Mm -hmm. i would completely do the opposite and make these feel important Agreed. Yeah. Do we get title matches, significant title changes, you know, possibly on these house shows in Troy? All, all to be determined. Yeah. What will, what will happen? The big, uh, the big odyssey here in Troy. Moving on. Um, we didn't get to the ratings note. So I just want to go over some of the highlights over the past week. So going back to SmackDown on Friday, they did a, a huge number, um, 2,544,000 viewers and a 0.67 in the demo. This wasn't quite the viewership of the Cena return back at the end of December, but it was, it did beat the Cena return in 18 to 49 and was their highest, uh, audience in the key demo since Christmas day of 2020, which was the show that had the huge NFL lead in. They were tied for first on Friday night and also did one of their biggest numbers in Canada in I don't know how long. Um, definitely bigger than anything last year. It was 283,000 viewers. So always a big deal when U.S. and Canadian audiences are in sync with one another. And both were very, very big numbers. Rampage on Friday, it did a 458,000 and a 0.14 in the demo. So up 11% in the demo and just slightly down in audience. And that takes us to this week and Raw coming off of the Royal Rumble 
Uh, for the second straight week, it was the number one show on all of television Monday and topping 2 million viewers for the second week in a row, 2,114,000 with a 0.64 in the demo. So yes, they were down week to week, but that's coming off one of their best numbers in years with the uh, 30th anniversary show. Um, this was, uh, they beat two college basketball games on ESPN and the third hour, uh, still did over 1.9 million viewers and a 0.6 in the demo and another big number in Canada, over 288,000 viewers. So it, um, the, the shows are like SmackDown and raw are extremely hot at the moment. I'm curious way. Do you think that there is momentum that gives you optimism? Like they did plug a lot for next week. They're trying to carry this as much as you can. Um, do you think it slips below 2 million next week? Does it sort of, uh, come back down to earth or could you see them riding a bit of this? My feeling is yes, uh, John. You know, I, I, I think, um, you had two big outliers in Raw, um, Raw's 30th anniversary and then the, the night after the Royal Rumble, which is, you know, their second, second biggest show of the year. Um, the biggest, most attractive thing they have next week is the Becky Lynch Bailey cage match. And I, I don't think it's, you know, um, special enough, um, to, to perhaps make it feel on the level of the other two. Um, but, you know, I, I do see, um, a continued sort of a boost in, in momentum for the company as we get towards WrestleMania and as they announce any sort of special attractions. I'm sure they'll continue to load it when guys like Cena might, you know, make a more regular return. How about this question? Uh, if, if 2.5 million from last Friday is the, is the marker, are you going higher or lower for this Friday with the follow up to the bloodline angle? Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, for me, I think they hit 2.5 again. Yeah, um, I, like, they haven't necessarily, I mean, they've teased obviously some sort of like response from Zane, but I don't know how significant of a, of an, of a moment that they're, they're really promising us on Friday. Um, so you're saying, uh, do they reach the same level as last week? Yeah, do they maintain last week's audience, which was a okay. very high number? I'm going to say slightly under, but okay. you know, still high. And then NXT on Tuesday, uh, they did 587,000 viewers down 3% this week and a 0.13 in the demo, which was up 5%, uh, but very low among women, 18 to 49. It was their lowest audience, uh, among women in the demo since September 13th. Um, they also fell in 50 plus that likely affected the, uh, the audience being down just a, a slight amount as well. So that was the go home show heading into Vengeance Day on Saturday. And there is plenty going on this weekend between uh, Vengeance Day on Saturday. We've got uh, several new beginning cards. Uh, Saturday's card uh, airs early Saturday at 3 a.m. Eastern. That's the show that has Tetsuya Naito against Shota Umino in the main event. And underneath it has Will Ospreay against Taichi and TJP and Francesco Akira against Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Doki. And if you get up super early to wake to watch that one and you stay up really late Saturday, uh, the next new beginning card, it doesn't start too late. It's at midnight Eastern late Saturday. And that's got Hiromu Takahashi and Yo, Zack Sabre Jr. against Tomohiro Ishii and Bishamon defending the tag titles against TMDK in the featured matches. So uh, Karen Peterson and I will be doing a, a review of the the key matches on both of those nights uh, Sunday for post wrestling cafe members also this weekend is uh stardom's got a pay-per-view and bellator is on cbs way it is fedor emilianenko's retirement fight where he is going to uh face ryan bader and we will see how things go um 
And then this is kind of cool. They're doing a retirement ceremony for Fedor Emelianenko after the fight ends, which I'm hoping all of this airs on CBS. And they are bringing in all of these legends that I guess it just kind of started organically where a few of them said they wanted to attend. And Scott Coker revealed on the MMA hour, this is the lineup of all-stars that are going to be showing up for this retirement ceremony. Josh Barnett, Mark Coleman, Randy Couture, Henzo Gracie, Hoyce Gracie, Dan Henderson, Matt Hughes, Quinton Jackson, Chuck Liddell, Frank Shamrock, and Chael Sonnen. All there. Uh, to me, honestly, like this is the most attractive part of this uh, broadcast on Saturday night. I mean, uh, Emilianenko and Ryan Bader will be fine. It's a three-fight main card. Um, but they could do something really cool here that appeals more than just strictly fights on television bellator is a pretty cold brand and i mean granted the this is not like elite xc getting on cbs where the barrier for a success is as high as it was in 2008 but i i don't see this doing a a huge number but uh, personally like i'm looking forward to this retirement ceremony and you know having all of these legends involved because quite frankly this is something ufc barely does outside of like the hall of fame each year like they don't do a whole lot of like honoring their past it's pretty much limited to the hall of fame and bellator generally does try and incorporate more of the the legends and um preferably when they're not actually fighting because bellator did go through that stretch too Hmm. in terms of star power yeah um I, i think i don't know if you've ever had so much attached to the bellator brand um realistically what do you think they'll be having them do you know, outside of appearing in the crowd. Um, I'm sure they'll play, uh, leave the memories alone and, uh, Fedor will just be crying and crying and we'll have, uh, speeches from each. I mean, it could be as simple as like they just get into the cage and they're all standing around awkwardly in their, uh, 2023 fashion. I'm um, not expecting speeches from every single one of these guys. Um, yeah. maybe Chael gives a speech. I mean, that'd be kind of, uh, that'd yeah. be kind of interesting, I, I guess. Sure. So, um, the photo op will be wonderful. It'll be a very nice photo op. Uh, the other fights on the main card, it's uh, Johnny Eblen def- defending the middleweight title against Anatoly Tokov, which is um, a really good fight if you've been following their their middleweight picture. Tokov is uh, the real deal here. And then Saba Hamasi is taking on Brennan Ward. So three fights on the main card and a retirement ceremony um, because the UFC is – so this card on Saturday – they have been doing this tournament of South Korean fighters. So this card was originally being targeted for South Korea, but that fell through. So they're stuck with this time slot. So the main card will go live at 1 a.m. Eastern time uh, late on Saturday night. The prelims start at 10 p.m. Eastern. So this main event between Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak will probably be around 3.30, 4 in the morning. Wow. Yes. Eric Marcotte will be the one Canadian viewer watching this uh, at that time. And I don't know. It, this is one weekend where you can certainly say Bellator is the big card of the weekend uh, in terms of MMA. So there you have it. Mm-hmm. And free on CBS. All right. Uh, I believe that is all of our news. You can always ca- get up to date at postwrestling.com. All of our latest shows, interviews up there on the site and plenty to come this week. So looking forward to uh Many more shows coming up over the uh, the coming days. Way we have dynamite to discuss. Actually, very quickly, um, uh, because you know we were unfortunately caught off on Monday. I wanted to get some of your thoughts on the uh, Jay Briscoe funeral. 
Yes, um, I, I would love to talk about that. I watched the entire funeral service on Sunday, and I thought it was um, I thought it was incredible um, to watch this. Um, first of all, Caprice Coleman, I just thought was excellent. Um, he got up there, he just gave a riveting speech, and then it was followed by uh, Papa Briscoe and uh, the Briscoe's mother, and they came up. I mean. Like, honestly, like you got emotional watching it, like the spirits that these two had. I mean, this was like they were truly celebrating uh, their son's their son's life. Um, this. It was like it, it was a very sad occasion, but they didn't let you get into that state watching this like this was sharing a lot of stories. And then Mark Briscoe gets up there and he was just amazing. Um that's the best I can describe this. It was, um, there, there were so many, uh, wrestlers, um, that had come in for this. I mean, it really was a testament to what this individual meant. And throughout this whole thing, like I've been really blown away just by this family and how they have reacted to all of this. And it's, it's certainly, um, like you can understand like the power that, um, faith has in people and getting through like the ultimate tragedy and i mean w- whatever your opinions are and it was very interesting like mark briscoe like he certainly deciphered between like faith that him that he has in god versus organized religion that they are very different things and you know i i i found it to be really profound what what he shared and mm-hmm. there are many people that i i just couldn't imagine um navigating through some of this and you can have whatever opinions you want about about faith about religion um, I, I think it has been greatly, greatly beneficial for the, this family to have that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement. I, I thought through his, this man's speech, his eulogy for his brother, I thought he, he displayed the most beautiful aspects of faith, of religion, and uh, I, I'm really happy to see that he's seems to be in such a great place, at least you know, um, in dealing with this and. Uh, uh, you know, from all, uh, what uh, Caprice Coleman's account it seems like he was the one consoling, you know, the people uh, backstage. Yeah, the, the Young Bucks brought that up, too. It was like Mark was the one consoling everybody. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you get a chance to watch like the day after um, last week's uh, match with with Mark Briscoe and Jay Lethal, Caprice put up a video at the airport with Mark Briscoe and he just gave like this you know, great message of pretty much just echoing what we're describing here of like somebody that, I mean, this is, this is a guy who is like, you know, he's not putting up some front or just trying to be tough through this whole thing. Like he truly believes his brother is in a better place and he knows he will see his brother again. And it's like, whatever you have to uh, do to navigate tragedy is, is what you do. And it just seems to be that they are handling it as best as possible. And I, I don't know how many people could, uh, go through this in in the kind of uh, grace uh, that he and his family appear, appear to be doing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I it, it's on YouTube. I would certainly, if you have the time to watch it, like it's it it really was like a a celebration of this individual and one where you know I'm I'm sure it would be you know the kind of uh, the kind of ceremony that you know he would have been extremely proud to have like those people uh talking about him but definitely um a very difficult period that they're they're going through uh we will now go on to dynamite so they were in dayton ohio tonight at the nutter center which was a punchline taz said he's been waiting for two months to use when they heard 
the Nutter Center. Do you know, do you know what the Nutter Center is, uh, uh, known for in professional wrestling? Um, no. What? Uh, it, it has housed uh, an ECW pay-per-view. It was also the site of a uh, Bret Hart's uh, one night performance, uh, winning the King of the Ring. Really? Okay. Wow. It's, still, still around. Uh, this is an old, incredible, building. very okay. old. Building. And, and, and is Nutter a person? Yes, it is. Um, I, I would have to look up his, uh, his resume to truly, uh, should we do a little deep dive here? On I'm to, kind uh, of curious. Okay, I got it here. Local business and inventor, Irvin J. Nutter, donated $1.5 to Wright State University in 86. And uh, I suppose um, that well, he, he paid for the building, basically. Yeah. So this opened in 1990. It's not, I mean, that, this opened after the Sky Dome. So it's, it's not uh, ancient, ancient. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just rare that like any sort of a venue seems to retain a, a name that's not business related these days. So <laughs> the Nutter.com center. Great for Mr. Nutter. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, Irving J. Nutter. Mm-hmm. Well, John Moxley and Hangman Page, uh, were here and I, you could have, um, put up any odds way and I would not have, I would not have put money down on the opening of this show, including Accompanied by his dad, John Moxley. And John Moxley comes out through the crowd with Wheeler Yuta and his dad. And John Moxley's dad is easily the most intriguing figure that was on Wednesday. Is he the new tattooed man? That, you know, now that we know the identity of the tattooed man, are we, um, done with that mystery? We want to learn more about Mr. Moxley here. Look at this guy. Like, if you just could see him on his own, and you were like, okay, this is the father of an AEW performer. I mean, how how far down are you going before you land on John Moxley? I mean, look at this guy. He I don't is, know, man. He looks like he he might he might you know bleed on a weekend uh, just for fun. You know, <laughs> this dude looks like he's been through some shit. I thought he was going to get involved in the match, but he just he did the walk down and and that was about it. But a cool moment here, a father and son moment. Pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. With Mox's uh, kind of surrogate son here. And, uh, we- Three generations of Moxley. Well, well Shuda, Shuda, Shuda really needed to be there. That's true. Yeah. So uh, they note like Hangman is here in visitor territory in Ohio. And Moxley attacks Page on the floor. And they have quite the brawl before they ever get into the ring. This included fighting into the crowd where Moxley applied a figure four. And then it appeared that Hangman, he grabs what looks to be a beer and throws it on Moxley's face to break the figure four. And that's how Taz identified it as. I hope this was not um, a beer being tossed into Moxley's face. Why? What's wrong with that? Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't. Of all I people, I would think like, eh, maybe hmm. this is a, this is a, uh, not, not, not a good spot to do. Hmm. Hmm. But anyway, I wonder. he got him out of the figure four. They get ringside and then, um, the bell rings and all of a sudden Moxley has been busted open as it looked like when, when the chair got thrown at him, he was busted open and he proceeded to bleed for the rest of this match. And man, this was some thick liquid coming out of this man's, uh, cut, uh, for the, for the rest of this match. So Paul Turner's checking on the eye and the amount of blood coming out of Moxley. Page is getting booed and not overtly playing heel, but subtle enough and understanding his role in this setting opposite Moxley. One of the strengths of this match, and there were a lot of them, I loved the struggle 
that each had just for little things like they're on the apron and Paige is trying for the dead eye and Mox is trying for the pile driver. And it's just like this back and forth. And they're both just, it's like, they're not even, uh, neither is allowing the other to, uh, they're not cooperating with, with the other in, in a sense. It's just like this real conveying the struggle uh, between the two just for any little move. And I, I thought that part was very strong. Uh, Paige is telling him to stay down. So Moxley gives him the finger and then hits a cutter. They're trading chops. They're trading suplexes. Then the Death Rider gets blocked. And so Moxley rolls to an arm bar. Then on the floor, Hangman goes for his Orihara moonsault and Moxley sidesteps. So Paige just crashes on the floor and gets hit with the lariat the same way he was knocked out in Cincinnati. And they have this lariat battle by the timekeeper's table ending with mox taking a pop-up powerbomb through it but he manages to get in at nine he's hit by the dead eye and he kicks out the whole place is chanting for moxley then he lands his lariat on page and page hits a small package driver and the crowd is pretty hot for this we see a buckshot ducked a death rider get blocked and hangman gets him up for a tombstone goes for the buckshot and he hits it but Moxley kicks out. The place is electric. Page applies the bulldog choke onto the man himself. But Moxley knows the counters to his own holds as he manages to cradle Hangman, stacking him on top to catch him in 16 minutes and 35 seconds with Excalibur explaining that he knows the counter to the bulldog choke. Um, this was amazing. Um, this is match of the month so far. <laughs> I mean, that's saying something. You know, you had a lot to choose from already um, tonight. So that the fact that it even got match of the night, I think, is is definitely an achievement. This was definitely it, my match of the night tonight. I thought it this, was, this was this was like pay per view quality. This to me would have been a high level G one match. I thought it was. I, really, I would have said really the same great. about the main event. I actually would have said the same about Cage versus Takeshita. You know, I, I don't know like, if we would have seen that main event in a G one setting, but um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they've used a thumb. <laughs> I don't know if Ishii's ever gonna have a uh, <laughs> tack jacket, but perhaps. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of quality wrestling, and you know, if you if you chose this one, I I think you'd be more than justified. This was an excellent, excellent match. It felt like the third of a trilogy. And it felt like the type of match that would occur when one person vows to knock the other person out in front of their wife. And that's the intensity I felt Paige had all throughout this entire thing. You know, there are a lot of head dropping moves and it completely played into the idea that this is a guy who wanted to knock the other person out. I think it's rare that you see somebody um not just like evenly matching Moxley, but like in this case, I thought. Page was, you know, especially for that final five minute stretch, like dominating John Moxley. He had Moxley beat by the end. And it was just his, you know, little bit of like added sort of like, um, ego that had him do his own finishing move to John Moxley. And of course, making perfectly logical sense that a BCC member would know the counter to his own submission move. I loved how simple it was for him to counter the bulldog choke. It was just like, you know, this guy's choking him here. I'm just going to pull his head down over my shoulder, stack him one, two, three. It, it, it felt like the type of move that you could understand maybe him working on with like a Brian or a Regal or something. Um, intensity in this one was crazy and especially coming out of Hangman Page because I think Mox usually has that. But with Page, you know, he's great in ring, but I just, I haven't necessarily seen that same level of killer instinct. And I felt like, like I saw it tonight. Um, this was great. Really good. 
It was my favorite of the three that they've had. And I think that they've left it open that afterwards, Claudio and Yuta are separating them and Moxley is challenging him to keep going. And this really felt like this is not the end, that there is still going to be one more. And you mm-hmm. would assume that that's revolution. And um, they, they have a, a month. We have a month, March 5th. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's-, that's, that's a good time to come back. And maybe it is going to be. You could do the last last man standing makes sense given the the story leading into mm-hmm. it, but they have a hell of a match to top because I I thought this was honestly in a in a non Omega Osprey year um, this is really high for me and we've had some incredible wrestling already this year after four weeks for double babyface feud um I I think it's going incredibly well and I would say both men are you know looking strong even coming out of like well technically two three matches but really it's only been two so i think there's still plenty of like interest in seeing a third especially if you add a stipulation attached to it um coming out of this you know um page at least tonight was leading more heelish but do you do you see any sort of like significant turn from either of them coming out of the feud or do they both end up as baby faces still coming out of it i think these are two characters that i don't think they're they need to go all the way. I think they're going to adjust as the story goes. And I think that's kind of these characters too, especially Moxley, that he can weave back and forth. And I think that's, it's a very difficult balancing act to do that without it being inconsistent. But they're really trying to drum in like personalities that can skew to the opponent that they are paired with. And if you can get it right, the balance, you can do a lot of creative things. And I feel like that's what they're doing here. It's not as though hangman is necessarily a heel, but he was on this night to the benefit of the match that he accepted that role. Mm-hmm. Agree. Renee is with Jamie hater, the butcher, the blade and the bunny and way they had an off screen discussion about no physicality. So they, they, they separated here in case you were wondering why they weren't uh, fighting each other. Yes. Is this considered physicality? A handshake? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It is. Uh, maybe not. No. Maybe Renee's being told. This, this is okay. We'll allow this. And the bunny was impressed with her win over Amy Sakura last week on Rampage, even though Sakura outshined her and knows that Jamie doesn't back down from challenges. So she issues a challenge for an eliminator match next week. And Jamie Hader agrees. I mean, for someone that doesn't, turn down challenges bunny should have gone all the way and just asked for a title match shoot your I, shot i mean she really should have i mean although last week was an eliminator so i i do think they do respect like rankings you know she's she's not just giving them out for nothing well before we can get any follow-up to that renee is getting word that there is an incident going on in the parking lot and we see see footage of tony storm attacking Britt baker as soraya uh, is speaking into the camera addressing jamie hater so uh tony storm and soraya um this is really our 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 full shift of Soraya and Tony Storm, which is pretty evident last week, but uh, yeah, this shift furthering came, the, the story. This shift was already there. Um, uh, I'm not like cutting to the back with like a heel beatdown. I just I continue to be kind of like displeased with how aggressively heelish they've just kind of suddenly became. And and beyond that, I think the lack of creativity and showing off their heelishness. I mean, this really felt like a cutscene out of like a career mode from a video game. And suddenly you just have, you know, these characters play like um, generic heels. But um, and the acting here was pretty weak, too, I have to say, from like Hater and <laughs> I mean, you did pick Bunny, this, this still shot like, uh, hey, I have a, I have but, a question for you. What what color is Renee's dress? Fuchsia. What, what co- fuchsia. OK. What would you say? 
Sure, sure, fuchsia. It's like well, what uh, color? What else? What else would it be? I'll br- I'll bring this up later. I have a, I have a point to make later, but uh, okay. we'll settle on fuchsia. That's fine. All right. The acclaimed come out. Max raps about fighting two guys having a midlife crisis, calling it quits like Tom Brady, and they are discount Beverly Brothers. And it is the outrunners, Truth Magnum and Turbo Floyd. Uh, they've done they've done a bunch of dark matches and uh, are from OVW. So. Uh, the outrunners do their own scissoring in the ring and they're hit with a super kick and the acclaimed hit the, uh, the leg drop off the top right in the nutter center. Taz notes and he was so happy about this line. He knew someone would hit someone in the balls on this show. And then they scissor with Billy Gunn, a rival, mic drop, and they win in 54 seconds. More so an excuse to get the acclaimed in the ring so that they can be challenged by the guns who want a title match. The crowd boos this when they are surveyed, so Bowens denies them the title shot. So they argue, and Billy has had enough of this. He's too old for this, and he says, you guys go ahead and beat the shit out of each other. And he walks up the ramp, leaving everybody in the ring, when Austin tells Billy to do what he did for their whole childhood. Turn your back on us. And Billy keeps going and says, why don't you go drown your sorrows in the bottom of a pill bottle? And this brings Billy back and he gets into Austin's face. If you thought he was angry, then he started talking and his mic died. And then he, we had a literal mic drop because he smashed it onto the floor. He was not happy about this as he was given the replacement. Uh, our own, uh, Hulk Hogan moment. Uh, what dropping the mic and <laughs> well, his yeah, mic, I guess his so. mic cut out last Is year. Is that what last we're going to call those now? H- Hogan's? Uh, when the mic short circuits, we can call yeah. that a Hogan. Okay. Um, Billy says it was a big mistake and he accepts on behalf of the acclaim, this tag title shot and he walks out. So the acclaimed are left thinking, Hey, what, what the hell? And I hope this is not Billy, uh, plotting against the acclaimed. Let's not mess up this act. They, they got, they messed it around for a while and they got the, the three of them together, but this will be our tag title match next week. The acclaimed and the guns. I can't see them, you know, breaking up uh, such a nice winning formula. I mean, for what, you know, to to what add Billy Gunn back to the Gun Club? Um, I don't think the Gun Club needs him. Nor do I necessarily think the Acclaim need Billy Gunn. But I, I think Billy Gunn works has worked far better with the Acclaim. So, I mean, I see this as more kind of shenanigans, teasing that Billy Gunn might have defected. But in reality, maybe this is just Gunn, you know, um, playing the ultimate trick on his own sons to be revealed. They're also going back to Texas the next two weeks. So maybe some hot crowds we are in store for. They're in El Paso mm-hmm. next week. Oh, wow. Alex Barbez is with Jack Perry and he asked, what's next for Jungle Hook? They're now two and oh. And Hook basically said, uh, I've enjoyed teaming with him. He had my back when no one else did, but I've won the tag titles. I've been to the top of that mountain. I want to win a singles title this year. Mm-hmm. So maybe. I mean, either, either he's serious about this or maybe it's just, uh, another tease. Uh, I mean, in either case, I, I mean, I, I, I probably, you know, uh, believe that he's going to want to be a single star, um, or they want him to be a single star. Um, maybe this is just to kind of tell the audience to not to get our hopes up for another jungle hook, uh, reunion anytime soon. They're not going for the tag team championships because I don't think it's necessarily beneficial for either of their careers. So um, he's promising to win a singles championship. Could that singles championship be the FTW title? Oh, okay. That's um, that's starting at a square one of the singles titles. But 
um, yeah, maybe you, you could eventually do that. I mean, it will be, I think they really have something here with jungle, jungle hook. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's one way to go about things. Yeah. If, if, I was going to ask a completely off the wall question. So finish your real thought. No. <laughs> I'm ready for the off the wall question. Yeah. Well, I was, if we go back to that photo, I was going to ask you if this was Zoolander, what would you call these poses? Oh, okay. Um, uh, the Dylan from, uh, Perry here. Uh, Marvez would be, um, Brandon. Brandon. Okay. I was going to go with the Zeering. The Zeering. Okay. Yeah. Maybe a little, uh, Joe E. Tata look. I didn't watch that many no, episodes. That was Nat. That was Nat. The Peach Pit owner. Oh, okay. All right. Remember Nat? Okay. No, not really. Kanosuke Takeshita against Brian Cage, who has Prince Nana in his corner. Uh, Cage power bombs Takeshita into the post on the floor. Back in the ring, Takeshita hits a blue thunder bomb as Excalibur explains the lineage of where it's been handed down from Jumbo Saruta to Junakiyama to Kanosuke Takeshita. Uh, Takeshita misses a flying knee in the corner. Um, Cage here with a deadlift superplex. And then we see uh, a jumping knee caught as Cage hits a buckle bomb. Takeshita does his own counter into a Liger bomb for a two count. And then Cage with a backdrop driver, discus lariat. Takeshita back with a pair of brain busters. And then an avalanche version off the turnbuckle drills him with a knee. And it's the knee strike that wins it for Takeshita in 10 minutes and five seconds. And uh, Takeshita's first big dynamite victory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really, really excellent match between two heavyweights here. Every move so impactful and I think flawlessly executed between the two of them. Um, ended up being a really great showcase for Takeshita, who seems to finally be getting a real push or, um, we'll see how long it extends because, um, you know, it, he's, he's running up against the wall next week. Um, but, you know, at least for one week, he gets to have a win on Dynamite. Um, I thought it was an excellent match. Renee is with the Jericho Appreciation Society and Jericho explains that Ricky Starks lost to the JAS, not to a baseball bat. And he has said that Ricky Starks wants a chance uh, to face Jericho again. And from there, we get Garcia and Guevara introducing us to the Garcia Guevara gauntlet where Ricky has to go through a series of opponents before he can get to Jericho where he'll have to first face big hand Ange, cool hand Ange, Matt Menard, then either Guevara or Garcia, and then can face Chris Jericho as Jericho threatens to quote, rip his ass. Mm-hmm. Now, before uh, I get your thoughts on this way, what color is Renee's dress? Okay, I see what you mean. I mean, um, this I was guess- glaring to me during the show. I was like, it it has changed here. I don't know if this was maybe a a, a white balance well, issue or well, something well, or a lighting well, issue. The the screen I'm presenting is happens to be a, somebody's photo of a TV set. So I, I don't know if we could buy this as sort of a proper accurate color representation. But I mean, this is how I saw it on on television. So you saw red, yes. And the in the other shot, it was more of a pinkish fuchsia. Well, you said fuchsia before. That was that was your determination. They are very close colors, and uh, yeah, depending on the lighting, depending on uh, the light balance, uh, things things could look a little bit different. Here's a better. I was just shot. curious. I wanted your, Here's a better your shot. intricate eye to. I detect. think this could still be fuchsia. You know, 
I mean, it's very close to Jericho's vest, which I would probably suggest would be it's probably a fuchsia vest. You think that? Uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but um, let us know in the comments below what color is Renee's dress. Um, yeah, so we have uh, several weeks before the pay per view. Um, do you think Ricky Starks is going to get through Parker and Menard, and then either Guevara or Garcia to get for the once? Jericho? I would like to see them. Um, I would like to see him lose and fail, and then what they what they would do for the pay per view? Then Jericho would have no match on the pay per view. They really do like this concept of just going through step one to step two to step three, which is fine. I just feel like I know Ricky Stark said he wants another shot at Jericho, but like, why? It's very simple. It's too similar when you have like the, the you're doing the same thing with Danielson. Danielson. And it's also like we've seen him beat Jericho. He got his big win over Jericho. So it's sort of like I'm not really on board for this big journey he's, it's ma- like- he's mad he wants to beat jericho again and jericho's denying him you know that that pleasure but you're right like maybe the booking of, of jericho losing the starks has has been kind of did they need starks to beat jericho that that one time and maybe Andretti. not yeah yeah um although you can make the argument that you know like the andretti win really helped so much that i think that was worthwhile because otherwise i'm not denying it i'm just saying like this is to me building up to starts what getting another win is Mm -hmm. it going to be that much more impactful than but they've they've embarrassed him so much you know they've had uh uh, that you know they they attacked him with a bat you know he they they, they, this is just a, a chance to completely vanquish the entire jas but maybe he'll fail, John. You know, maybe it'll be Daddy Magic that pins Ricky Starks and ends the journey. Then maybe they'll have a, a rip your ass match. And what would be, tell that me? Was a, that the, was a weird threat. He said, "I'm ready to rip your ass." I think it's the type of threat that um, you know um, is, is meant for uh, wrestling podcasters to recap in question. Then we went to the basketball court where the elite. Are with their uh, their newfound uh, stablemate Kenny Omega, who was back to play basketball, and they said to Top Flight, bring bring Ar Fox next week and shoot your shot. And with that, the ball was passed to Nick, who drained this shot. God, this guy. I mean, i i would I wouldn't doubt that this was a one take. You know, that this was the only take that they needed to, to do something like this because um, he is quite the remarkable, I guess, weekend basketball player, I believe. Well, then at the uh, at this local community center, uh, the firm entered and they made fun of the elite having the week off. So Ethan Page says that we make our employees work every week. And they issue a challenge to the elite for Rampage and Omega accepts the challenge and Callus then refers to an NFT and Excalibur notes that NFTs aren't a thing anymore. Are they not? Huh. You never bought an NFT? No, no. I don't know if they ever really were a thing. I, I guess they were a thing because people were spending a lot of money on these things, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Stunned. Stunned that these have uh, turned out to be not quite what was envisioned. Um. But yes, we've got the elite wrestling on Rampage on Friday. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a really nice hook for Rampage. Um, that's not hook. Um, I think it's you know it's it's a rare occurrence uh, appearance by by Kenny Omega on Rampage, and the first time that the elite are having um, a trios match since their uh, championship win. So, oh, it's for the titles even. Okay, well, <laughs> there you go. 
Not even an eliminator, John. They're actually just doing this for the See, they, they shot their shot. They That's just it. went out for the big challenge and they got it. I mean, you know, they could have promoted a basketball match, you know, a three-on-three basketball match. And I think I wait, I seriously thought that's where this was going. I thought they were going to challenge them to a basketball match. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think it would be even a bigger upset than what we will probably see on Friday. <laughs> They're going to play horse for the first twenty minutes of Rampage. Oh wow, I'd sign up for that. It would probably do really well, to be honest. Yeah. It's just these six playing horse. Yes. Brian Danielson against Timothy Thatcher. Timothy Thatcher, when this guy was in Evolve, he was one of the most polarizing figures. There were sides that loved him and sides that couldn't stand this guy. Um, like the whole like catch point influence on Evolve. I was always a big fan of Timothy Thatcher. What, what, what's the criticism? I'm curious. What, what, it was just a mean? lot of like the heavy MMA grappling based, um, uh, matches that they, they were doing. And it's not everybody's favorite style but when done well i think it's really captivating stuff and i i always enjoyed him and i think over time i think thatcher has uh won more people over but it was <laughs> at a time he was like this very divisive figure like circa 2016 2017 uh, i thought he was incredible in this match and it felt like brian danielson was just in wrestling heaven for 14 minutes here um Danielson's got a taped shoulder, so it's not as though he's lost the use of his arm. It's just he's got a shoulder injury. Oh, the tape does wonders. I wanted him in, like, basically a body cast having to wrestle a match with no use of an arm. Um, I mean, we could be headed towards that direction, you know? They could peak the injury maybe for the pay-per-view. They did show more uh, Noah footage of Thatcher and emphasizing the Fujiwara armbar. That's his specialty. And noting that his hero was Johnny Valentine. And Tony Schiavone was just so excited to talk about Johnny Valentine. Brought up the plane crash from 1975 that Valentine was in with Ric Flair, among others, Tim Woods. Uh, Thatcher goes for the arm. Pretty much all of Thatcher's offense was getting control of this arm. He constantly had like a hammer lock and was just holding on to the wrist. Everything was designed to just break this man's arm. And Danielson was, um, he goes for a bow and arrow. It's broken by Thatcher gripping the fingers and putting pressure on the shoulder. And Danielson would just scream in pain, uh, selling this injury. Uh, Danielson tries for the label lock again, Thatcher back to the arm and he continues to have the hammer lock applied as he's drilling him with shots to the body. Eventually Danielson headbutts him off the turnbuckle and lands a missile drop kick and goes for the backslide. Thatcher kicks out of the backslide and into the Fujiwara, just every counter back to this uh, submission. And Danielson has some success using head kicks and kicks to the body and then Thatcher runs Danielson into referee Stephon Smith in the corner, prompting MJF to come down wearing the ring when Takeshita in a hoodie jumps MJF and fights him to the back. The Fujiwara's on Danielson. He gets his foot on the rope and Danielson hits a release German, ducks the clothesline, Busaiku knee and pins Thatcher in 13 minutes and 41 seconds. Um, th- this was a great match, but an awesome just storytelling match as well. Like Thatcher was just an excellent, excellent opponent for Danielson. I think he was a fantastic choice for this storyline at this point in time, you know, to find, to be able to find a special attraction technician that could have this style of match focusing on a single body part, I thought was incredibly effective. I thought, um, I think if you've seen Timothy Thatcher, you kind of know. I can I I asked for clarification on on that maybe criticism at the beginning, John, because I could see people maybe feel sensing that about about this one. It's it's a fantastically like 
I think fun style to watch if you appreciate this kind of style. But um, I it's I not don't gonna know, be for everyone. It's I like, don't know like, how much the crowd at the Nutter Center necessarily connected with this, and I say that at least in comparison to like a Bandito match or a Takeshita match that we've seen with Brian receive incredible ovations. This was you know certainly a bit more subdued. Um, and I, I, it could also just be down to the audience not being as familiar with the Timothy Thatcher. Um, which was a risk. Like Timothy Thatcher is not a pick that you were, would be envisioning. It's like a really risky pick to go out there. Like, yes, this guy had some NXT exposure, but he's not a name that you're bringing in that's going to be lighting up everybody's world. Um, it, it was certainly like an, uh, a left field pick, but I thought it was a really cool potential matchup and, mm. Again, it's going to come down to kind of your, uh, your, your diet for this type of wrestling. I really dig this style. So I, I really, really enjoyed this. I did too. I mean, I, I think it, again, for the type of story that they're trying to tell with MJF focusing on, uh, uh, Brian's shoulder, I think, I thought it made all the sense in the world. And it was as about, it was a fantastic example of, of this type of, um, um, match. Uh, do you think, uh, Thatcher makes other appearances in AEW? This to me would certainly prompt a callback. Uh, and I really kind of even like him as like MJF's like, you know, uh, like hooker that he can bring in when he, when he's got a, an issue with, with, with somebody. Um, it, to, to the point that I almost wish like he got more credit for the arm injury than Brian Cage did last week. Um, that would like ensure a return here, but I, I would certainly think like there's an opportunity to bring him back again when the time is right. MJF and Takeshita are still brawling in the back. MJF's got some weapons and then gets his head drilled into the table before they're separated. And MJF yells, I'll kill you. To which Renee, with her trusty earpiece, informs us that Tony Khan has made an eliminator bout between the two for next week. Yes, yes. Is this as clear cut as MJF just getting a win going into the Danielson match? I mean, I guess eliminator match. um, Like, could you get creative here with Takeshita? You'd have to do it in a way that wouldn't take the heat off of, you know, um, Danielson getting that victory. I don't think I would do it. You know, um, I would love to see Takeshita. I mean, I, I think we're seeing a moral, moral victory situation here for Takeshita. You know, um, there's, there's still, I think a lot well, of what um, if he, what if he won with the Busaiku knee and then going into the, the pay per view? It's like MJF can be beaten with this move. But if we've seen Takeshita, like if we've seen MJF get beaten, I, I, I don't know if that's, they protected MJF so well here, you know, with infrequent appearances. When was the last time he even took a loss? The Punk program? The first time he lost to Punk, MJF. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Or actually, I guess he lost the second time too. Um, Sean Yeah, Dean. I, 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 <laughs> you're right. Sorry, let me just look this up because I, I don't want to be uh, bothered by other people. Um, he His last loss was, um, I mean, uh, he won oh, Wardlow, Wardlow back in May. So right, when- he hasn't had too many matches since then. But like, you know, since becoming champion, I I don't necessarily see them doing that. But I, I'm looking forward to the match. I, I don't think him losing w- would harm him all that much. But um, it, it's not... Um, Make or break either. I'm interested to see the match for sure. I think. I guess more so for like Take- for Takeshida. I'm kind of curious where they go off of this because they're they're starting to build some really good momentum here, and I think he will most likely have to lose to MJF. How do they maintain that momentum to keep him on a on a positive trajectory to you know 
I guess build them up to what, like a TNT title level? You know, man, Joe versus Takeshita, I think would be so awesome. They've also kept the Don Callis stuff to dark elevation. Like they have not integrated. Have they that even, aspect. have they continued it? Still? There's been some continuation of it. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, online, they're still like that, right? Like Callis is constantly pushing it, but it has not made it into the body of dynamite or rampage yet. Hmm. Swerve is with his mogul affiliates and he mentions his program with Dustin, who is not here. So he is targeting someone else that has been a beneficiary of nepotism, Brian Pillman Jr. So he's going after people's kids now. That's, that's the game. And we now have our names of Parker and Trench. Trench is the man's name. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, looks like a trench. In what way? How does he look like a trench? I mean, that, that's the name the that trenches? comes to mind. Um, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> was it worth the wait, John? You know, all this, all this mystery surrounding this man's name. Maybe there was, maybe it was a copyright issue. Maybe they had to clear trench. Trench. Okay. Anyway, uh, we got the name. I guess we got we the can name move after on. months. So exciting. Then yep. we had quite the moment. <laughs> Excalibur is running through uh, what's coming up next week. And then now Renee is standing with the AEW world champion. And we cut to Lexi Nair with Roosh, Preston Vance, and Jose the yeah. translator. So Ouch. he was 0 for 2 on this throw. Um, yeah. At least MJF did make an appearance here. But I was... Um, there was there was there were some rough edges here. There might have been an updated rundown that like was not properly uh you know passed around. Um, yeah, a bit of an embarrassing segment. MJF enters with a briefcase and he tries to speak Spanish, but the one language he does know is universal. It's cash. So he gives them a briefcase full of money and says he has five more filled to the brim if Rouge can beat Danielson by any means necessary and rip his arm off and beat him over the head with it. I would definitely want clarification if he means literally or figuratively next week to get all that money. Because I don't know if I could ensure that I could break his arm. I don't know if I could rip it off out of the socket and beat him with it. That'd be really tough to do, even on TNT with their lax, hardcore style rules. I just don't know if it'd be worth the trouble. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but I mean, you're looking at jail time for that type of, you know. Assault. Roosh is uh, not a fan of MJF and gets up close to him and gives a promo in Spanish to which MJF looks at Jose, translate, dipshit, and Jose just says like a word or two and MJF doesn't think he's getting the full translation and says, you don't have to like me, but we can still do business together. And we walk off and it is Brian Danielson and Roosh next week, which is uh, all right. I think it's a really solid match. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, I mean what, maybe what it will be a, st- a step down from the previous announcement. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, maybe. I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty. Like, I think Danielson versus like. It's, I, I think versus, I think Roosh gets like not ample opportunities, but the ones he has, it's been mixed results. Uh, so th- this is another chance for him. He's had to have no a, bad matches in AEW. Roosh. You know? I don't mm. think he's had any bad matches. I, What's I, your favorite I, Roosh match in AEW? I can't really name. I'm really bad at picking favorites, but I, I remember enjoying a, quite a number of them. I would never say that he's had a bad match in AEW. Yeah, well, see, I, I'm not thinking this is going to be uh, poor. Um, it's just it's a. Uh, it feels like a, a match so far. Okay, it'll be an interesting mix of styles. Um John hates it, so um you know, I think it'll be the best match of all time. I didn't say I hated it, but um 
uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It, it didn't, I wasn't going, oh wow. In terms of star power, yeah, it maybe doesn't feel as special as, as some of the others. Yeah. Jay Cargill is going for 50 and 0 against Red Velvet. They mentioned an interesting uh, thing here that it's American Heart Month and all the talent went through CPR training earlier today at the arena. Very important. It was very, very, yeah, like this is um, to me something that especially all referees should be, you know, regularly taking training. I would say every adult should probably learn some CPR and, and the Heimlich, you know. I, I just, I've gone I've gone through two training classes since since having children. Like I did it yeah. once, and it was such an eye opener for me that I was like, I can't believe I didn't know this before, and did it a second time just to refresh. I'll probably do another one because it's yeah. been a few years. But I would encourage anybody, especially if you're a parent, um, or in some athletic field where something could go awry. Like having CPR training is to me something that should be taught in all schools. I I wish. CPR was promoted as heavily as the iPhone 13, you know, like if you should have CPR training to be able to unlock an iPhone. Yes, absolutely. You know, you should be, you should have to perform (laughs) CPR on your phone in order to unlock it. Yeah. Or at least make a TikTok video about CPR training. (laughs) You know, somebody should get on that. So, uh, Red Velvet jumps her. Um, Kiara Hogan eventually comes out. She attacks Layla Gray and gets ejected by the referees. And Red Velvet hits a spinning roundhouse kick and has a visual cover on Jade Cargill. The whole crowd is counting one, two, three, but Aubrey Edwards is distracted. And when she turns around to count, Jade kicks out and Red Velvet applies the short arm scissor and she gets dead lifted up and then turns that into a sunset roll up. But Jade stops her hoists her up, turns her into jaded, and hits it for the win in 7 minutes and 11 seconds. Uh, I thought what what Jade, to me, has greatly improved in, like her finishing sequences have become pretty elaborate, and she's like sticking the landing pretty strong with these endings. Like they're more than just get her up for jaded and hit. It's like a several-step process now, and it's the part of the match that the crowd peaks for by design. And I think that's an element of these matches that have are continuing to improve. She wins. She has 50 and 0. And then she is her daughter was in the front row and she carries her daughter to the back. Her daughter was crying, you know, like, like super emotional. So well, that was why really would you nice boo thing. this woman? What, what is there to boo about Jade Cargill? Honestly, at this point, like, yeah, like I, 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 I kind of question it. And, and, um, she got jumped from behind by red velvet, overcame that adversity to come back. And then her, her second, who is allowed to be there, just gets attacked unprovoked. And then she yeah. still manages to win this match in front of her daughter and uh achieves this 50 and 0 record yeah yeah i mean um i i don't know dude um i i haven't really been pleased i think with um this like she's 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 looked like such a star and i think in in these sort of 50 matches um she's accomplished a whole lot but i haven't really been pleased with the amount of um feuds and and story that they've crafted for her um i thought red velvet you know for number 50 this felt pretty underwhelming for, um, at, at least in terms of like a big deal. Like it was an absolute foregone conclusion, I think, to everybody what the outcome of this was going to be. And, um, I, I don't know if you have anybody, you know, on roster that I think, you know, could be that sort of, um, could, could make that big of a difference. But I, 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 I would say it's, it, it's at this point, like where we should be seeing her in the mix with, you know, um, 
people like a Tony Storm, people like a Britt Baker. You know, it seems like she's just like kind of sequestered off into this um other division. And you know, um, I thought for fifty they needed something bigger. What's the next milestone? Is seventy five a milestone, or do we have to wait to a hundred? I feel like a hundred. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe seventy two. Seventy two. What's significant about seventy two? Just a made up number. Whatever. The Summit Series. Um. Yeah. Yep. Renee is with Britt Baker. She says she's fine after the attack, and Ruby is there to check on Britt to see if she's okay. And Britt accuses Ruby of where her allegiance lies, saying that you know Tony and Soraya a lot longer than you've known us. And uh, Ruby continues to be caught in the middle. Yeah. Who's she with, John? Who do you think? I don't know. You trust her? Is she an original or is she a WWE loyalist? She could lean either either way. I mean, she has ties to both sides. So this is going to be a real soul searcher for Ruby Soho. Who, who to align with? We'll see. Rampage on Friday. The aforementioned Elite versus Ethan Page, Matt Hardy, and uh, Zay for the trios championships. Swerve Strickland against Brian Pillman Jr. for being the son of somebody. Saray and Tony Storm will be in action. And our main event, to prove me wrong, Roosh versus Christopher Daniels, which I'm sure will be a very good match, to be honest, on Friday. Next week on Dynamite, so it's Eliminator Night, MJF against Konosuke Takeshita, Jamie Hayter against The Bunny. Then we have Brian Danielson against Roosh, the acclaimed against the Guns for the tag titles, and the start of the Garcia Guevara gauntlet. So I guess this means Angelo Parker against Ricky Starks, who they explained would be step one. Yes, correct. I think Starks will win. You hey, we don't. I, know. I think he, I think he's going to get to face Matt Menard. That's my prediction. Anything can happen. You got to tune in to find out. Well, everything happened in this main event between Darby Allen and Samoa Joe. No holds barred for the TNT Championship. At the beginning of this, Tony Schiavone is questioning if this was a smart move for Samoa Joe to face Darby Allen in a no-holds-barred match. It might favor Darby. And Taz was out of his mind. He's like, are you kidding? Darby, the favorite in this match? Tony's like, he's crazy. Joe's crazy, too. So Taz was not giving Darby a prayer here. And Darby comes out. This dude is wearing a thumbtack jacket. Where do you get uh, these? Hot topic? Thumbtack jacket. I feel this was homemade. I don't know too many stores that could sell these. Um, yeah, I wouldn't know. Joe brings out a table from underneath the ring and Darby hits his crazy tope drilling this chair into Joe's head and busting him open. So more blood on this show. Then they fight into the crowd. They go up the stairs and Darby gets tossed onto these steps. I just, I cannot fathom what this individual is going to be, how he's going to be getting around in five years. I'm not even saying when he's like 40. I'm saying like five years from now, it just feels like, I don't know. I'm almost at the point of uncomfortable of how much damage this guy is inflicting on himself on and that's the yeah. whole purpose of this title reign is how badly i can hurt myself in these matches i mean do we know that he intends on wrestling for that long 
I'm pretty sure that he intends on getting up from bed five years from now. And I think he's mortgaging that ability right yeah. now. I'm not even talking about wrestling. We, 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 you know, plenty of people have said that sort of thing about professional wrestlers, you know, in their youth. Um, and yeah, like sometimes the truth actually, like it turns out the way that I think, it, you know, people predict. Um, Jeff Hardy seems to be walking around. Um, is he walking our grade? I, I don't necessarily know, but you know, he's at least probably able to get up in the morning. Um, but you know, like what, what can you do? Like it's, you know, I'm sure plenty of people have told him plenty of warnings and, um, I don't think you're going to stop a guy who's this determined. Joe lands his STO out of the corner. They're back in the ring at this point. He lifts up Darby in the ring and just violently throws this man to the floor over the top rope and out. This would have been the most vicious Royal Rumble elimination on Saturday had this been in the match. Mm-hmm. And Joe then dumps him onto two chairs in the ring. He's just brutalizing this guy. He goes for a power bomb onto the chairs, but he is stopped with powder thrown into his eyes with Darby following up with a code red and goes to get the tack jacket. But the tacks are all tangled with the arms. So he has a hell of a battle trying to get this tack jacket on and he can only get so much onto him. This was like the tack scarf. And then he comes off the top with a coffin drop onto Joe, um, trying to hit him with the tacks. So then Darby goes to the floor and he takes out like a, an exacto knife and he starts cutting up the canvas all around the ring and he's just doing this so quick and he's just chopping up the ring to expose the wood underneath the padding and he goes into the ring and he misses a somersault flip into a table on the floor onto joe so he crashes through this table joe then lays down the tack jacket in the ring power bombs darby onto the tack jacket then wraps this jacket around his face and darby breaks free by thumbing him in the eye there's chair shots from darby climbs to the top and Joe sends Bryce into the ropes, knocking Darby off balance, which leads to a muscle buster onto the exposed wood. And Joe pins Darby in 16 minutes and 14 seconds to regain the TNT championship and giving this this poor ring crew a hell of a changeover to Rampage moments later. I mean, it made, made their job easier, didn't it? Darby already did half the work. I guess it's um just a case of uh starting from scratch here um and removing the uh the canvas and uh they still got to tie that whole thing down. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, well they, they, sure, absolutely. Um I think I would say maybe um worth it, you know, at least for this TV match. It was yeah, you're right. Every time I watch a Darby Allen match, you know, you you get a little bit afraid for the man's future or uh, his next 2-3 years. Um but you knew like a guy who was on this crazy five week stretch that he was traveling to Japan and wrestling in Muda's retirement match among them. Um, you knew he was going to end this run, you know, pretty spectacularly. And he kind of threw everything in there. This was the end of the trilogy with Joe, the end of his, uh, uh, second reign as TNT champion. Uh, and what an incredible five weeks. I thought the guy t- took more risk in those five weeks than most people, here. most people in their entire careers. It's, it was, it was a spectacular match. Yeah. And then the final scene is Wardlow making his return without the ponytail and attacking Joe and trying to powerbomb him. But Joe escapes. And so a, 
a security member gets power bombed out to the ring onto the other security members. So Wardlow is back for revenge, and that looks to be the title program, probably for Revolution. Probably, yeah. Um, you know, it, I have to say it's it's a little bit harder for me to get that interested in a Wardlow Joe match or feud again, you know, especially after seeing this wonderful trilogy with Darby. I, I really feel like Darby has overshadowed um, my interest, at least in Wardlow. And um, I, I feel like they were really reliant on, on the Wardlow formula, you know, his first run as TNT champion. And I wonder how much they've evolved, you know, be Wardlow beyond that in this run. Um, I I worry that he'll come across, you know, a little bit generic, especially when you have such a colorful roster now in AEW with so many fully developed wrestlers. Um you know, what 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 do they ha- what do they have in store for Wardlow? Um can he be a more viable, more entertaining champion than Joe has been? I I am hoping that there are some adjustments to Wardlow. I don't think you have to make gigantic changes because I think like there is a solid foundation there with this character, but I do agree that I feel he, you know, he did run into a, a, a stagnant period for a while. I, I do feel you're, you're coming off some of these matches that you just cannot match. So in the absence of trying to top these TNT title matches, you have to go and do something totally different. And that is the challenge for these two. It's like, here are two monsters that are not Darby Allen that you can have a different type of program over and, and hopefully do something different that makes you appreciate these matches in a, in a different way. But I, I'm just looking for some evolution with Wardlow as well. It's not even chasing after it's a title that he has already held. So I think it's, it's not so much even the chase that's going to be fueling this run from a fan perspective. And I don't know if there's, I mean, is there a hair versus hair match to be had? You know, the ponytail's already off. Do you have a shot of Joe? Can we get a look at the, um, at what he's working with in 2023? Um, there's not, not much, you know? Like, I don't know. Like, not and much. to be quite honest, does Wardlow not look like much better without the, the man bun? Um, I, I think if you were to, you know, uh, cast him on The Bachelor, the answer would be yes. But I mean, as a professional wrestler, he looks a little bit generic to me. Without the ponytail. Okay. Well. But looks are subjective, John. You know? I mean, he didn't spend any time. Like, this was over a month ago. It's not like he seems to be aggressively working to grow this thing back either. I don't think he is. I think it's gone. I mean, it'll be gone. I mean, it's, that, that that's like five years of growth right there. Mm, okay. And that was Dynamite. Um, quite the show that had, I, I would say, three pretty spectacular matches with uh, Moxley, Hangman, Danielson and Thatcher, uh, you could throw in Takeshita and Cage as well. And then that main event, which was totally nuts. So, yeah. I mean, four pretty high level matches on, on the show. Agreed. And they didn't even have to use Kenny, you know, who, who was able to return. So you're getting Kenny on Friday. Smart. I think we, we talk about this with Rampage. This is something you, you need to do every, every now and then. So yeah, mm-hmm. uh, a reason to tune into Rampage. And I, I don't think, uh, Soraya wrestling on Rampage is a small thing either. Like I think that's yeah. still, you know, there is some star power on Rampage this week. Not to mention Roosh. Uh, Roosh. Yeah. The, the John Pollock's most hated wrestler. Yes. All right. <laughs> well. What did everyone think of Dynamite? Do you have questions? Do you have Super Chats? We are here to provide our Super Answers. We do not have any Super Chats today, but we do have feedback from forum.postwrestling.com. 
And we start things off with Cody from Maine. Would you like me to start, John? Sure. Go ahead. All right. Cody from Maine says, just wanted to say as a fellow content creator, I appreciate the troubles you two went through to provide Rewind a Raw this past Monday. Would have been more than justified to, th- to stop the show. Sort of John if bringing it up as a sore subject. Well, we've been perfectly fine thus far, uh, Cody, so I think we can discuss it right now. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, and appreciate anybody who sent us, uh, you know, very kind messages to tell us to feel a bit better about, um, you know, how, sent away messages. I got none. <laughs> I'll forward them to you, John. Uh, there was a lot on tonight's show, even by Dynamite standards, but I really enjoyed it. I love what they're doing with Takeshita. Brian Cage, too, for that matter. I understand if people were upset with him losing another big match, but if he d- wasn't in the role, dare I say someone like Miro would be. And I'm sure that wouldn't be a well-liked decision. Timothy Thatcher is phenomenal. He has been for a long time, but his style is such a breath of fresh air for me. And I hope Darby can walk when he's 40. Those memes of him pushing around Keiji Muto in a chair are a lot less humorous after a performance like tonight's. Good to see Wardlow back too, although I'd have waited until next week. I guess being in Ohio was a primary reason for the timing. Just a weird spot for him to wait until the end of the match before attacking. Oh, I didn't, yeah, forget that he was a Ohio guy. I mean, was it that weird? I mean, you know, he wanted the no, match. Not to at go all. On. You want to do the big angle at the end, and you know, it's you're getting close now to the pay per view, and I'm sure you have like your weeks plotted out of where you want to be storyline wise, and it made the sense to bring him back this week and get the feud rolling. It would also make sense that you would want to beat Joe for the championship rather than Darby. Sure. Right. Um. Yeah. So. Okay. Let's go to Jomo. I thought this was Brian's dullest match in his trials. Oh, I'm going to disagree with that one, but uh, in his MJF series, but everything else hit, in particular the opener. I get the purpose of the match, but I still found it blah. Mox and Hangman really feel like two of the absolute top guys, even above Brian and MJF. There's an, ele- there's an electricity when they're together. Putting the elite on Rampage is a way to make me watch, even if it's against the Matt Hardy Vortex. I really think part of the reason Dynamite has been so hot lately is the commentary. Tony Schiavone is always impressed with everything, where JR was impressed with nothing. And Taz and Excalibur's dark rapport on TV really works wonders with the more PWG-ish wrestling product that they are offering. Hmm. I I, I think this is the better team. But I, I wouldn't personally go as far as to say, like, JR's absence has made that big of a difference, you know, in my enjoyment of the show. I think it's just, it's it's high-quality matches. It's, you know, maybe an improvement in storytelling. It's having the Bucks back. You know, it's having the Elite back. Um, that, to me, might probably means a whole lot more than, you know, the change in commentary, which a lot of times I don't necessarily even think about. Um, something I did th- uh, think about, and I paused last time uh, after the last question because I wanted to bring this up, but um, there's been, to me, at least a noticeable lack of ROH title defenses on TV as of late. Um, is that something that's been apparent to you? And, and do you think that's just, you know, um, to answer for some of the criticism that people have I mean, about? it was... It was, uh, it was stated as much that once they got through final battle, like that was going to be sort of our ROH involvement. And I think they had the pay per view to get to. And I think they did understand those complaints. Like this was cramming a lot of other stuff into the show. And this was becoming, you know, as much uh, a vehicle for ROH as AEW. And I think it, it has been noticeable. And I think it was pretty much laid out when you heard going into final battle that you know afterwards it was going to be and i think it's been honestly i think it's been uh an easier to digest program where we're not pushing all these different titles as well and you're uh even though it's the same players involved um mm-hmm. I, I do think it has made uh, a difference as well just solely focused on your in-house championships which are already a large number to to start with but 
the question will come up again as you get closer to that Supercard of Honor show in March and how much AEW real estate is used to promote that show. Mm-hmm. True. Let's go up next to Muggin, who says, A solid show with the opener, Danielson Thatcher, and the main event carrying it. It appears that the Starks Jericho feud is cannibalizing Friedman's shtick of making their foes jump through hoops to get a match. I hope Darby can still be able to walk by the time he's 35. The amount of punishment he went through was nuts. Jade Cargill is 50-0 with no real challenge in sight. I kind of wish Statlander is healthy. Okay. And Miguel. In his promo in Spanish, Roosh said he was going to beat Brian, then get the reward money, and lastly, at the first sight MJF shows weakness, he will take his championship. Do you think Roosh will be the next champion, or is that just a throwaway line in his promo? <laughs> um, I like that a lot. That's wonderful. I um, Roosh shooting his own angle would not surprise me. I don't think it was that at all. I, th- I think they definitely alluded to it. I thought it was a lovely way to, you know, throw that tease in there. I mean, I could see a title challenge, but um, I don't think he'll be like MJF acknowledged it too. I mean, he said we yeah. don't have to get along uh, to do business together. So, um, yeah. And honestly, you should have people all gunning for the championship, even if it's not something you are immediately planning for. Like every person on the roster should have that goal in mind, and it just it makes the title feel. It is the ultimate prize. It trumps whatever your story is going on, your tag team, your feud. It's everyone. That's the, that's why they are here. That is the goal. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, you know, we'll see how this match goes next week, John. Maybe he'll lose or maybe he'll win. Maybe he wins and we're not going to get Danielson at the pay-per-view. Maybe it'll be Roosh and MJF in San Francisco. Could possible. Okay. Well. Thank you for the feedback. Thank you for everyone tuning in live. Way, how do I look? How do I sound? You look and sound wonderful. Uh, maybe a final thank you to the fine folk at Rogers Communications for providing a stellar connection for John Pollock's basement today. Uh, I want to give a, a thank you to a very uh, special person who helped uh, fix all these problems. I want to give a shout out to my main man, Oscar, who got on uh, <laughs> this afternoon and he helped me fix this. He was seated right there, and he navigated me through all of this. So a big, big shout out to Oscar. We're about five years away from, I think, him uh, completely, um, you know, revamping the the IT in my house. I mean, at, at the rate these kids seem to be learning this stuff. So um, I'll tell him you said um, thank you. When are we back, Way? We've got uh, Friday. I've got the show with Brandon at 1 Eastern. And then Way and I have Rewind to SmackDown Friday night, 11 Eastern after Rampage. And SmackDown. I, I think both shows will be notable. Yeah. A big elite match and SmackDown coming off of the Rumble. Like both should have some uh, important things on each each program. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And we'll talk about all the news, of course, as there always seems to be plenty of stories. And then Way's coming over here on Saturday to watch the Fedor retirement fight with me and the ceremony afterwards. So uh, we're, we're, just, we're not doing a show for that. We're just going to hang out together and uh, we'll watch the Fedor fight on uh, on CBS. And uh, you can stick around for New Beginning. We'll watch that right after Bellator. Uh, I will do that as soon as uh, you come over and we wa- watch all the Oscar nominations together. Every single, all 10 movies. Okay, let's start with Tar. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good. Good night.